Hey everyone, this is Nate Scott, and this is the For the Win Podcast, your home to everything that's buzzing in the world of sports. My guest today is my colleague. He is no longer in line at the uh, polling place. He's just in his apartment, I assume. It's Ted Burke. Hey, man. What's up, Nate? Not much. We Last time we talked was earlier this week, and you were in line to vote, and you, you spoke with us right up until the moment you uh, uh, passed your ballot, cast your ballot past it i don't know what you did yeah i don't th- i don't think you can vote you can be you, i don't think you can podcast from the actual voting booth although did you also have so like it used to be when i first voted and this was like i'm old right so i think my first election i voted in presidential election was 2000 mm-hmm. and we still had the the thing where you went into the little voting booth and you clicked off the people you were voting for and then you pulled a big lever yep. to like register your vote and it opened the curtain at the same time and now you don't do that anymore and it stinks dude i uh, so i voted first in 04 but i had the i had the curtain and this time i just went in yeah and they handed me a piece of paper oh, whoa what was that noise um oh sorry hold on um <laughs> I'm getting an autoplay. I don't hear ad. that. Notice. I'm getting an autoplay ad on my on my computer. <laughs> it's screaming at me. Yeah, um, you gotta you gotta you gotta close off close out your tabs. Yeah, man. Dang it. Anyway, um, thought you were a professional. Seriously, but I voted in '04, and I had the curtain, and I went this time, and they just gave me a piece of paper, and there was like a table that like sort of had a few kind of divider. It was almost Lame. like a, like a like a like a f- almost just a little bit bigger than a file folder, and I kind of just was standing next to a dude, and he sort of nodded and smiled at me, but he could have totally looked. There was very little privacy, and the other people were and using a computer. And it feels like we've moved backwards, right? We're like now we're filling in bubbles. We used to click switches. I know. Well, some people got the computer. I but... mean, you know, there. Oh uh, yeah, no, I want that. I want yeah, I want app voting. I know it's not reasonable, but I want to do it from my phone. How about that? How about that for 2020? How hard How hard could that possibly be to pull right? off that we could all just vote from our phones? People are like... Right? We're, we're grown-ups. And people say, you know, the security risk, blah, 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 we couldn't secure it. We have put a machine on Mars. You're telling me we can't figure out a way to secure a vote, voting system so we can all just do it from our phones and not have to get up? Also, you're telling... You're also telling me there's no security li- risks in just like handing me a piece of paper that yeah. I go fill in, right? I could I could have sold that piece of paper probably. I don't know. I don't know how that would have worked, the mechanics of that, or why it would be worth it to someone. But I don't know. I gotta feel like there's there's ways around every system, and at least the phone. Every you know, a lot of people have phones, right? If you had a phone, you could vote on the phone, and maybe more people vote. And you know, who knows? Maybe the yeah. maybe the outcomes are different. I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't yeah. talk about that. The other problem would be that. I think some, I mean, the concern is some Russian hacker comes in and, and votes 4,000 times for Dr. Doom. But it would be the same outcome. It would be the same outcome. <laughs> <laughs> now you bring up a, all right, we're going to move on before we get in trouble because we're not, we're sports writers. We're not yeah. supposed, stick to sports, hey. Ted. Uh. <laughs> um, we didn't really finish because you had to vote and you, you couldn't vote while potting. So... We couldn't really finish our World Series talk, but so just really briefly, you're you're happy. You're the right team won, whatever that means. You're you're okay with everything. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the Cubs had look, uh, and you know this. The postseason doesn't necessarily reward the best team, right? Yep. It it 
Uh, it doesn't, and it doesn't in any sport, but it especially doesn't in baseball, where you need you know the 162 game regular season to figure out the best team. But in this particular postseason, I think that happened. I think the Cubs had the best team, really by far, in the majors. Uh, I think they will again next year, regardless of of how they do or what they win. Uh, well, not regardless of how they do, but you know, uh, I think if if you know, if, if I had to pick a team that's going to win 100 games next year right now, there's just no doubt it's the Cubs. That's just the obvious pick. Uh, and I, you know, I don't think they're going to sit on their hands all offseason either. So, yeah, so I'm happy. You know, it's it's nice when the when the right team is rewarded. Uh, certainly, you know, I know there's been tons of backlash because there's always backlash and, and people got, you know, sort of upset about Cubs fans carrying on. Give these people a day, Seriously. right? Like Seriously. give them given them a couple of weeks it's been 108 years it's been 108 years so and i get that they most of them weren't alive right and and you know today's 12 year old cubs fan doesn't know a world in which they you know they weren't either you know really good or clearly about to be really good but you know that was the same case you you lived through that in, in boston you know where uh the the sort of you know everybody uh the sympathetic sports fans become the uh the entitled ones and i don't know i'm ready i'm ready to give cubs fans at least a one-year grace period here to be as obnoxious as they need to be uh, and be cool with that, right? Because, you know, the I mean, think about how many times Cubs fans have had to watch the Cardinals celebrate yeah. uh, in the hundred last 108 years, you know? So give, give them their day. And that's the thing. I, you know, I think it's because we, everyone got to see what's going to happen with Boston and they saw the the you know for what for better or worse the pink hat phenomenon and the bandwagoners and the insufferability and and I was I'm just as guilty as anyone else and we can sort of see it on the horizon with the Cubs and so we're we're trying to kind of beat them to to you know we're like trying to beat the hate like we want to hate them before they've even really deserved it but like come on when I was I was 18 yeah. when the Sox won the World Series in 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 2004 and that was the best year of my life. It was amazing. Like that was the best. You're voting. I'm the voting. Red Sox are winning. <laughs> Everything's going. Back. Yeah. I'm pulling the lever. I've got you know, Kurt Schilling wasn't uh, leading an online brigade trying to, <laughs> I don't know, do terrible things to me. Um, it was to murder you. Yes. To, murder you. to, to hang me. Yeah. So that was a. It was a simpler time in my right. life. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So yeah, anyway. and that's you know, yeah. I mean. I don't know. I've, 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 I've. We've discussed this before. None of the teams I grew up rooting for in my conscious lifetime has ever won a championship. So I don't, I don't know what that's like. But I gotta imagine it's cool. And it's really cool. you know, being there in Chicago for, uh, for, for when they won the the NLCS. You know, obviously they they won the World Series on on the road. I was in Cleveland. And there are a lot of Cubs fans there celebrating as well. But uh, seeing it, you know, seeing what that city was like for you know the just the world series birth you know not even the actual win it was incredible you know and you might say okay well it's just wrigleyville you know it's the the immediate environs of the ballpark and these are the most passionate fans there are i walked like practically the length of chicago or at least you know not the length of chicago at all but uh i walked from wrigleyville you know sort of the north part all the way down to downtown in in center city chicago and the whole stretch was filled with drunk crazy partying Cubs fans who had never been so excited in their entire lives. And it was cool. It was a cool thing to see. I, I like baseball and I, I felt a kinship with these people who were so, you know, psyched up about baseball. So rest of the world, give Cubs fans a break and Cubs fans 
cherish this. Because in a year, enjoy it. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy it. Yeah. In, in a year, everyone's gonna hate you. And in twelve years, uh, Jake Arrieta and John Lester will be leading an online movement to have you killed. So it's gonna be terrible. Let me just <laughs> just uh, just kidding. I mean, Arrieta. Yeah. Soon, might. soon enough, we'll find out. <laughs> everyone's soon terrible. We'll find out who your favorite players are voting for. Yeah. But you know what? Yeah. It's Here's gonna, what I yeah. will say. Here's what I will say. Pedro has remained perfect. He's a per. He was a perfect man, and he is a perfect uh, man. And no one. Uh, yeah. I mean, there was a, he had a little. He had a little bit of a hiccup involving the Cleveland Indians this uh, postseason, but I I find oh, it. You know, I kind of want to just over oh, that and ignore it and pretend it didn't happen and chalk it up to some. I don't know some some ignorance or something. I uh, let's 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 just you know. Uh, it's it's a dark. Little one, little dark cloud. Everything else Pedro has done, I sort of agree with and think is dope. Uh, he had a he had a senior moment. We'll yep. say. Yep, totally forgot about that. Great. Everyone's terrible. Everything's awful. Sorry, sorry. Every all all of your heroes are are generally terrible, and that's you know that's really like the thing you kind of have to come to grips with as a sports fan is you root for them on the field, and they're just dudes like the rest of us off the field. Horrible, horrible people. Anyway. Um, right, we all. Does Chapman come back? No, I don't think so. Um, I think that would, if I'm if I'm guessing, uh, I would say that they would be more likely to shell out for Kenley Jansen than for Aldis Chapman among the the big ticket relievers. I wouldn't be shocked if if Chapman comes back, but I feel like I don't know. I I just I, I my gut says. Uh, he chases bigger money elsewhere. They get Jansen, who I think is a superior pitcher on probably a, a very similar deal. And, and I think that, uh, you know, for, if the, if the Dodgers can't bring, bring back Jansen, I think that, you know, there's no landing place. A guy like that could, could find that would be better than the Cubs right now. So I was just actually, we, we had to do for, uh, for, a upcoming sports weekly, we did free agent predictions, this morning, and and I put Jansen on the Cubs, and and I would kind of guess that that's the that's the direction they go if they're chasing a top flight closer. Interesting. Is there any way that Chapman and Miller, Andrew Miller, both back end up back on the Yankees? No, I don't think that I don't think the Indians will give up on Miller now. I you know I I don't think that uh, I think that the Indians are in a situation where you sort of look at what you've got. They've got a good young team. They've got all those starting pitchers that should be back next year. Uh, I think you sort of, you know, you, you, uh, fortify, right. They, they can, that's a team. I mean, we saw how good they are. They, they were legitimately one of the best in the American league. Uh, they made it to the world series without, uh, you know, Carlos Carrasco and, and largely without Danny Salazar, the guys who got them there. I think you look at that team's fortune and you say, okay, well, you know, we, we bring back Miller, we bring back Allen, we keep this formula we've got in the bullpen, and we try to add a couple of offensive pieces and, and do it again next year and win the whole thing. Good. I like when I like that Indian team. I think I, I'm in. I like they're, they're a fun team. They're, uh, they have some of the, you know, I think Francisco Lindor was a guy who uh, sort of very much needed a national spotlight and got one. Uh, just an incredibly likable dude. He's uh, awesome. Extremely, uh, yeah, extremely good player. You know, such such a 
gifted defender, so fun to watch, really, uh, in all phases of the game. But then also just an incredibly charismatic guy, uh, a guy I would say is, you know, 100 percent invited, if not doing uh, on air analysts uh, on air analysis as soon as his career ends. Uh, and a guy I think, you know, you when you look at, you know, the 22 year olds in Major League Baseball with the potential to become sort of the, the face of the sport in the league, uh, he's a guy that sort of jumps out to me. Speaking of shortstops who could be analysts on TV, um, didn't tell you I was wanted to talk to you about this, but I do because we haven't even really sat down and, and really talked about it since you went. Um, earlier this postseason, I had pitched a story to Fox about talking to Alex Rodriguez, and I was supposed to go to Chicago, ended up not being able to make it happen thanks to uh, flight catastrophes and and. and Vice President Pence's, uh, Vice President-elect Pence's plane going off the runway in LaGuardia and all this stuff. Anyway, you stepped in, uh, literally with, what, a two hours notice I gave you that you were going to be interviewing Alex Rodriguez, maybe four hours notice. Um, you... I mean, yeah, but I, I've been, I've been preparing for that my whole life, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you've written thousands of words alone on how he needs to, uh, grow a snidely whiplash mustache. So I think you were ready to, to ask him some questions. Cool. I mean, I think, you know, you, you, I think have been more fair to him than some other writers in, in his time in both major league baseball and out of it. Were you delighted by him? Surprised by him? What, what was surprising about meeting Alex Rodriguez? I mean, he, you know, it was, it was surprising. Uh, you go into it and, and I had, you know, stood in scrums while A-Rod's spoken before. And I've, you know, I've been to certainly plenty of press conferences where he's, you know, taken questions and taken my questions or, uh, you know, and, and, you know, been A-Rod, right. But, uh, I still went into it, you know, based on my understanding of, of, you know, what everyone wants to tell you about his character and the type of guy he is and the type of player he was, you know, sort of expecting one thing. And and what I got was at least seemed like, and, and I hope, you know, writing it reflected it, uh, just a totally genuine guy who really wants to be, you know, good at whatever he does, uh, who really wants to, really works hard at being an, an on-air guy in a job he, you know, he absolutely could mail in and everyone would be cool with, right? If you yeah. just have A-Rod, you're Alex Rodriguez, you're a big enough star and a big enough name and a controversial enough figure, you can just go on there and be A-Rod and, and no one's going to doubt you or, or no one more will doubt you. It will be the same reaction you'd always got. But instead, he kind of, you know, attacked it like it was uh, an opposing pitcher, right? Like it was a, a something he was uh, doing at the same level of of Major League Baseball and did all the preparation and and from you know this is by basically the account of every single person who works with him is just that he is he was full tilt into it. Uh, he was super psyched to be uh, to be there and he was really hard on himself, you know, and he was really trying to be uh, as good as he as he could be on air. Uh, and I got that from him too. I mean, I, I uh, he was extremely generous with his time. He, you know, we were supposed to be there. I think you set up a half hour and I really wound up sitting there with him for, for about an hour and a half. Uh, totally talkative, you know, interested in my feedback, uh, interested in why, you know, why I thought he has seen, uh, so much love really from this role. Uh, and it was, uh, it was sort of an enlightening thing, you know, it, it, and it's, uh, it's something I, I shared with him too. And it's, 
a strange experience when you're in this job and you are a fan and you are a lifelong fan and and we're running out of these guys for me you know guys who were stars before I was covering the sport uh, because I'm going back like this this is 10 years now I've been you know credentialed and covering baseball but my very very first day uh, covering with a credential was opening day of 2007 you know and I was writing a, a, a Mets blog at the time and the the Phillies were the Mets' big rival, and Jimmy Rollins was the you know the most vocal and 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 foremost player on the Phillies. Really, you know, one of three great players there. And Rollins had said, "Well, the Phillies are the best team in the NL East this year." Uh, and so Rollins was this this big enemy in New York. You know, he was the guy you were rooting against. And uh, in that first game, in opening day of of 2007, he made a really costly error, and and the Phillies wound up losing. And I remember going into the Phillies locker room, you know, sort of sharpening knives, thinking like, "Ah, oh, Jimmy Rollins, he's the enemy." He's the bad guy here, and, and we're going to show him as much, you know, because he's now he's going to have to stand here and say why the Phillies are still the team to beat, even though he he blew this game. Uh, and I went in there, and Jimmy Rollins was super nice, and he was awesome, and he was totally accountable, and he said, I screwed up. You know, it's one game. This is what happens. It's baseball, and, you know, completely accurate about everything, and changed. I mean, I, you know, the, the first the, – this is the first time I, I went into a major league clubhouse, basically. Uh, uh, completely changed the course of my fandom, you know, because you're like, all of a sudden, this guy's not the enemy. You know, this guy just happens to be a good player on on the team, you know, that that that's the rival of the one I'm covering here. Uh, and so, you know, I think for A-Rod, I think that this whole postseason thing, you know, being an on-air analyst, uh, allowing the world, you know, beyond his own fans and beyond the enemy fans, allowing just baseball fans in general to see this is a human being uh, who really appreciates the sport and who has, you know, little aspects of goofiness and, and can be funny and can, uh, you know, have this, this uh, tit and tat with Pete Rose and, and see him as a person. And I think that will 100% of the time change people's perspective because I think that, you know, he is a guy who is just painted as evil and bad and villainous and, and cheating. And, you know, obviously uh we should know and and we do know as as people that that's people just aren't like that right there's there's yeah. there are very few people in the world who are you know black and white good or bad and a rod like the rest of us falls somewhere in the middle and i think uh you know showing the world who he is and and giving everyone a little bit more sense of of you know his perspective and and uh his humanity is a, has been a very very good thing for him and his legacy Hey everyone, before we get back to the call with Ted, wanted to tell you about Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, which proudly supports the For the Win podcast. Rocket Mortgage brings the mortgage approval process into the 21st century. Fast, powerful, and completely online, Rocket Mortgage has taken all the complicated, time-consuming parts of applying for a mortgage out of the equation. Hate searching through stacks of old files and paperwork? With Rocket Mortgage, you can easily share your bank statements and pay stubs at the touch of a button helping you get approved in minutes for a custom mortgage solution that's been tailored to your unique financial situation. Even better, with Rocket Mortgage, you can do all this on your phone or tablet. It's a quick online process that you can manage from the convenience of your couch. So if you're looking to refinance your mortgage or buy a home, check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com FTW. Again, that's quickenloans.com FTW. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 30. 30. And, you know, for me, I'm just so happy he's found an outlet to sort of 
you know, I feel like people hated Alex Rodriguez for a lot of different reasons, but, you know, one of the big reasons, or at least I think, was that you just never seem to be able to get past the shell. You just never, ever seem to, you know, other than sort of a vague longing to be liked, I, I couldn't tell you a single thing about him as a human being, um, even after watching him for, you know, 15 years um, play and a game. Intense, intense scrutiny the intense throughout. Scrutiny, yeah, you know? and, 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 for, and for him to... And then for me to have, you know, that feeling and then to watch him in that behind the scenes video, which Fox posted to Facebook and shows him, it was supposed to be just kind of a 30 second little cut to commercial conversation between him and Pete Rose and Frank Thomas about, uh, you know, hitting and turns into a 10 minute discussion between three of the great hitters of all time, really you know, talking in a way that was sort of understandable, but so in-depth and so intelligent just about the minutia of the mental part of the game, the physical part of the game, what, where your hands are, where your feet are. And to see A-Rod there, not as this aloof jerk, but as this inquisitive, excited, kind of giddy kid learning from, you know, still even after all this, learning from Pete Rose. It was like, oh my God. Like this is a this is a human being and a pretty smart and interesting human being who I think I want to get to know, which is something I didn't think for twenty years, <laughs> but now do, and it's just it's really cool. It's cool. I'm glad. Yeah. No, I think it. I think you know you said it. Like it, it sort of allows them to take the guard down. Uh, that conversation was incredible, right? It was incredible because uh, I think I think largely in part because it was fueled by A Rod's curiosity, right? Mm -hmm. And because it seemed so genuine, he really wanted to know, you know, how Pete Rose went about hitting. And I think it. Uh, I think it speaks again to what I said. He really, really likes baseball, and for for all the other things that he has said and done, and and you know whatever else you want to say about the guy, if you're a baseball fan, you have that thing in common with him, and it's it's something that you don't get from other baseball players. You know, I think a lot of guys like playing, and I think a lot of guys like winning, uh, but I think they don't approach it the same way a lot of fans do, and they don't. Uh, you know, there's you can name on on one hand the the guys who have that sort of uh, you know that mentality of wanting to know every single thing about baseball, of wanting to, you know, leave the park and keep watching baseball, which A-Rod does. You know, he said when he was playing in Texas, he would get home and, and have all the West Coast games going. And uh, that's just kind of how he is. He's a he's a guy who is really into the sport, always has been. Uh, he, you know, he's uh, that was always the book on him, you know, from covering him with the Yankees was, uh, you know, okay, well, A-Rod, if you ask him about the game, if you ask him about his game, you're not going to get a ton. If you ask him about a teammate if you ask him for a scouting report he will give you you know great details uh a great analysis and uh, obviously you know the guy was one of the best players if not the best player of his generation he knows what he's doing you know he knows the sport uh and he can communicate it and and i think that uh it's good i think it's just a good on-air product you know and and he won't he won't commit to doing it for for next year or however much longer. I don't know why he would. Clearly, he doesn't need the money. He wants to be a good father. He's got two daughters, uh, and and he you know he's still leaving open the possibility he'll try to play again next year, which I kind of doubt at this point. But uh, man, I like watching him on TV. That's the that's the bottom of it. I it's it's and not just for like the morbid curiosity of it. He is good on TV, and it's cool. Yeah, and. Two things quickly, you know, you talked about how good he was, and that gives him an authority that I, I think even 
because he prepares so much and he because he has that inquisitive mind he can use that authority for good use you know they bring on these ex-players so often because they quote-unquote have this authority to talk about the game but none of them use it they just sort of espouse grunge. kind of yeah that grunt yeah. or talk you know cli- regurgitate cliches that their coaches used to say to him but when pete rose is talking about hitting and gets a little vague and a-rod says you didn't answer my question how many, so people, awesome. <laughs> how many people alive can challenge Pete Rose when he's talking about his hitting? If, if he said that to you or me, we'd be like, yes, Pete Rose, whatever you, whatever you right. say, I'm going to trust you because I don't, I don't know it well enough. Well, and I, I, never... I caution against trusting whatever Pete Rose said. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, but uh, certainly about hitting. I mean, Rose is honestly another guy who, like A-Rod, is, you know, truly is like a, a student of baseball and cares yeah. a lot about it. You know, and again, for all his faults, uh, a guy who, who loves the sport. But, you know, I, I don't know that I would take everything he says on its on face. Fair. But, you know, just the fact that A-Rod is able to, to, to sort of challenge him as one of the few people alive who can and challenge right. him on his baseball knowledge and, and Pete Rose having to respect him and any player having to respect him is really cool. The second thing I'll say, and this is just to TV in general, that segment I think showed that if you let smart, passionate people or people you know who know something extremely well talk in depth about something, it will be interesting. And too many of these TV, th- you know, they'll get these incredible players on and instead of letting them, you know, I, I, you always hear these conversations between broadcasters being like, yeah, you know, we went and did the TV segment, but you really should have heard the conversation in the bar that night. That was when the good stuff was happening. It's like, well, why? Why, why are you right. giving us, come on, man, and a six pack of cold hard facts when this is infinitely more interesting and it's what these guys want to talk about anyway. And when you, they don't think the cameras are on, they are talking about. And it's just, if you can just find a way to package that, you know, Fox sort of stumbled upon it by accident. They didn't mean to do that. That was supposed to be a little, you know, the, the cameras rolling while they talk, while they cut to commercial. and ended up being the most, you know, memorable broadcasting moment of the postseason. Um, so that's something I'm, I'm curious if anyone will ever figure out how to do in an intelligent way. Yeah, I think that the challenge, especially with the postseason, is that, especially this postseason, right, is you know there are just a ton of people watching who never watch baseball, yeah. you know, and so for broadcasters, I know that puts them in a tough spot. You know, people uh, people criticize Ron Darling, a guy who does the Mets games here, and, you know, when he does the Mets games here, he gets incredibly in-depth. Uh, he knows the pitchers incredibly well. He will go into just, a, you know, great detail on sequencing and curveballs and grips and everything else, and then, you know, he definitely is is sort of dialing it back a notch when he's doing the postseason broadcast and you see all these criticisms like why is Ron Darling talking like this now when he talks like this during the during the season well you're dealing with a different level of fan you know and so I think what made that that broadcast moment uh, so sort of transcendent. I mean, I think 12 million or 13 million people have viewed the the video online. Was that they managed to talk about something that's that is extremely in depth, that is extremely you know insidery uh, with a somehow you know and, and again i think a-rod was sort of the one driving it you know with uh in a way that was accessible to you know not just 
uh, the, the in a way that was accessible to the casual fan who just dropped in, and also interesting to you know me and you and people who are watching baseball all year long. And you know, I think that's kind of that's kind of the great challenge in what everybody does in media, right? That's yeah. what we're trying to do too. Um, and and they did it for that for that you know two minute or ten minute segment or whatever Man. it is. And so. Yeah, but, and, cool. and not only interesting to you and me, but I think that would be interesting to Mike Trout, or you know, or, or yeah, Anthony Rizzo, sure, which is sure. so, which is what's so cool about it. Um, anyway, last thing I'll say was about the broadcasting, and then we can go back to hating every broadcasting uh, decision in person ever. I thought Smoltz did a really nice job. I I, I liked him. I, I was at all games, so I you I was not. I don't know, but I um the feedback I saw said that Smoltz did a really good job, that he carried Joe Buck, that he uh for 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 any broadcaster in that spot to be getting a lot of positive feedback, I think is a really good sign. You have to kill it to get that because I think that in most cases no one bothers mentioning it, that the broadcaster's doing a good job. Everybody just notices when he's wrong about stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think for you know, Smoltz just basically stuck to what he knew, and while Buck was sort of painting the broad strokes and working in everything, Smoltz was really focused on the pitchers and and really um, focused on that mental game and what pitch he was expecting, what he would throw, why he thinks that guy's shaking that off. You know, it was it was just such he he didn't try and talk about what he didn't know. He really just zeroed in on the on that pitching sort of mentality for both pitchers. And it was just so interesting. It was just like, man, they like it, it really kind of made that mental game that's going on between the pitcher and batter come alive in a way that if you if you're ever watching a game and you start thinking about like, oh, God, what would I throw here? What would I throw here? That's crazy. Maybe he's expecting this. And you kind of have to do that yourself. Smoltz brought you into that, but in, a, in not an intrusive way. It was just really cool. Um Anyway, I'll say I mean, I'll say also that at the game, you know, and it was, again, something where you I wouldn't have noticed if it if it wasn't going so well. Uh, the Tom Hamilton is the guy the Indians have doing play by play. And they were he's their he's their radio play by play guy. And they had his broadcast, not the Fox broadcast was the one sort of pumped throughout the stadium. That guy crushed it, too. I mean, not you know, I'm not listening to a lot of Cleveland Indians games on radio throughout the regular season. It yeah. it happens now and then, but it's not something that I'm doing every single night. Uh, he's like a their longtime play by play guy there. And he was killing it. He was it, it seemed like he was fair and balanced. And he was like, I, I remember uh, several points even where it was like it was the radio broadcast or, you know, while I was in the bathroom that sort of cued me uh, as to what I should be looking for in these situations. So, uh, you know, of what I did get of, of those broadcasts, they did a good job, too. Maybe it was a good postseason for broadcasting. Look at that. Unbelievable. All right. Um, we've talked for a while. Let's close it off with a Mike Trout appreciation, prayer, love, the meditation, meditation, rumination, um, mantras. We can just say his name over and over and over again. You wrote yeah. a piece of That's, I have I have advocated that in the past. Just walking down the street, everybody just walking down the street screaming Mike Trout. <laughs> I think that that's the only way. It's the only way. Like I, I feel honestly, we've discussed this before. I honestly feel that as a baseball writer in 2016, I have an obligation to mention Mike Trout as frequently as I possibly can because I still don't think people realize how good this guy is. You wrote a piece today that sort of walks the line between sports analysis and pornographic fan fiction. Um, it's definitely fan fiction. 100%. <laughs> there's no line. 
Um, imagining a scenario in which the Cubs traded for Mike Trout, thus creating... I, I don't even know if you if you were really interested in it as a, as a real possibility, but more you just wanted to imagine a world in which uh, the starting, the opening three in a lineup was uh, Trout, Bryant, and Rizzo in that order. Or is it Trout, Rizzo, I would go Bryant? Trout. I would go Trout, Rizzo, Bryant, just so you could stagger your, your righties and lefty. Um, but you could really mix it out any way you want. I think Trout, you know, of those three guys, if you're picking a leadoff man, Trout's the base stealer. So, you know, traditionally he's there. I want Trout leading off in my fantasy world. Uh, and I think, you know, you go righty, lefty, righty. Then he goes over us behind him. He's a switch hitter. I think you can really go righty, lefty, righty throughout the, the Cubs batting order, which is something managers like to do to avoid the the platoon thing, which then turns into being uh, nightmarishly long innings because the opposing manager will just bring in a new specialist for every batter. But, uh, you know, that's besides the point. So, yes. So you've now crafted this lineup. This is basically Ted taking imaginary toys and, and playing with them because he's crafted this. I basically traded, like, because the Cubs have so many major league ready young players who belong in a lineup somewhere and they have more guys than they're going to be able to figure out a play. So there's something's got to break there, you know, and, and, and maybe it'll just be an injury and maybe, you know, a couple guys get hurt and then it'll all sort of, those, the good problems tend to sort themselves out in baseball, but they've got so many guys. And so if there's one team, and I, I think there are a few teams with the talent to trade for trout, but if there's a team that can, that can trade for trout, uh, and and not you know severely impact its lineup, which is really how it would go down, right? Like the the Cubs could trade. I mean, Schwarber and Baez are both guys with tough routes to playing time next year. And you look at them and you say, well, these this guy should obviously be starting in the major leagues, right? And 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 how can the Cubs not find a spot? Well, how can the Cubs find a spot? They've got good guys everywhere, yeah. right? And so you could say, okay, well, you know, maybe play Schwarber over Jorge Soler, and maybe you uh, you, may, you move Zobrist around and you get Baez more time, and you you know you let uh, you know let Baez move around. They they've got flexibility. There are ways to get everybody. You know, 400 at bats, but you're not getting you're not getting those guys 550 at bats over the course of a season unless someone is hurt or someone is traded. And so, you know, I think that is a really nice start to a Mike Trout package. Um, and man, you just why not just do it? Just make Mike Trout be on the Cubs. It would be so cool. Well, I like the idea. I actually, I wrote about Mike Trout today too. I, I came up with my Barry Sanders All Stars, which are the 11 best players in professional sports right now who are just mired on terrible organizations. Uh, does Trout, is there an op, is there a way for the Angels to make this better soon? Uh, I don't, I really, I mean, I don't, it's hard to see. You know, yeah. they got a lot of money locked up. They got a lot of money locked up in Trout now. Uh, and they got a lot of money lo- locked up in Pujols and they have a, a bad system uh, they have very little in terms of, you know, ready major league talent. They've got some nice players around Trout. You know, Cole Calhoun's a nice player, and, and C.J. Cron has his moments, and, and uh, uh, obviously Andrelton Simmons, you know, defensively is a, is still a, a wizard good enough to, you know, make up for not being the best hitter in the world. They've, they, you know, it's not like they're completely bereft of, of major league talent beyond Trout, uh, but 
they've got a bunch of injured pitchers and you know that it's they're talented guys they're guys they're going to want to i think ride with but not guys that you know you can know will help you compete in set 2017 and i don't see a route unless they you know double their payroll and sign all the big free agents and this is a this is a weak free agent class as it is uh unless they go hard at the free agent market uh, in a way they haven't for a while, and in a way I'm not sure they really can. Uh, then no, there's just it's just really hard to imagine a way they contend in 2017, probably not in 2018. Uh, although that season, I think there's a much much better way to build through free agency. But still, you're talking about uh, yet another year of the best player in baseball, uh, one of the best players we've ever seen. You know, certainly the best young player we've ever seen uh, playing for a sub-500 team next year. And so, yeah, I mean, really, if, you know, and, and it seems crazy. You should build around Trout, right? You shouldn't build by trading him away. But I think there is a case that if you get enough back, if you can really turn Mike Trout into three or four good major league regulars, uh, maybe that is their fastest route back to contention. Yeah. It's just an extremely, extremely tough thing to uh, show your fans and to swallow, you know, just as a front office. Like, okay, uh, we have to, we are now trading the second Mickey Mantle uh, yeah. for some guys who are not that. I'm looking at the Pujols contract. and it, or we're, trading, we're trading sober Mickey Mantle for some guys <laughs> who are not that. I'm looking at the Pujols contract. I can't, I still can't believe it. We're we're yeah we're not we're we're it's, halfway done. It, yeah, it, it's a it, he won't it's become a big one. he won't be an unrestricted free agent until twenty twenty two. This is well, and he'll I, I'm sure he will be retired then or will yeah. retire then. You know that's that's this is his last contract. It's it's almost got to be. Yeah, and he's not a useless player. You know he's he's still hitting home runs. He's just not anything like the guy he was in St. Louis. And uh, I don't think even Albert Pujols would, would make that contention. He doesn't walk as much. He doesn't, he doesn't get as many hits. Uh, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't have as many doubles. He's, he's a home run hitter at this point. He's not the best player in the world anymore. And so, you know, you're looking at a continued decline uh, from Pujols and a guy who's going to take up a big chunk of of their payroll for years to come now yeah. i think that's the type of thing you know it, it seems like all of these sort of nightmare albatross con contracts what happens is uh there's just so much increase in salary that by the end of the deal it never seems as bad as it did at the beginning of the deal uh but i mean you're you're still paying even by today's standards right you're not paying them uh you, they, they gave him the deal before 2012 but even by the standards of of 2017 he's still getting tons of money he's sort of the exception to that rule uh, you know whereas you look at um I'm trying to think of a couple of offhand where oh, even like the John Lester deal a couple of years ago seemed like, oh, my God, how can you pay John Lester so much? Now you look at what a pitcher is going to get in the free agent market and it's like, oh, that's just steal for Don John Lester. Yeah. Uh, Pujols is sort of not like that, you know, and, and Pujols is the is the because just because it was such a heavily backloaded deal. And because now you are paying for Pujols from age 37 to 41, uh, that that's a that's a rough one. That's a that's a. That's a big contract on your books. Making making thirty million at at age forty one is <laughs> it's a lot. That's it's a, a lot. lot. You know, and you're paying for and and it's a shame. You know, like you go into a deal like that and you say, okay, well, really, what you're hoping you're paying them for ten years or for whatever it is. Really, you're hoping for 
he'll give you so much in the first five or six that you swallow the back end of the deal. Yeah. And what the Angels have done with with Albert Poole so far is it's just not enough. You know, it's not it's not why you gave them the guy two hundred forty million. It's not his fault, and it's no. not his fault. I'm not for blaming him. Um, no, no, no. I know. It's just a lot of people do. You know, that's kind of the nature of sports. Uh, he's obviously trying his best, but you gave a 10-year deal to a 32-year-old player. This is what happens. All right. So trade Trout to the Cubs, Angels, just because that would be awesome. <laughs> just, yeah, definitely do it. <laughs> it would just be really cool. And uh, yeah, that's it. That's all I got. Ted, man, how's everything? How's everything else? Good. I just I uh, right before we started podcasting, I threw some some ribs on my smoker, so I got like uh, two hours of being uh, really eager to poke at them when I can't, because the key to to grilling and smoking meats is not messing with them, yep. and it goes against all my instincts to play with fire and play with meat. Uh, but yeah, that's that's what's going on. I'm gonna have some ribs later. Dang it. That sounds awesome. Well, I'm going to Austin, Texas this weekend, so I'm sure I'll have some you, ribs as well. You can have ribs there. I will do that. Ted, man, right. always a pleasure, and uh, we'll talk soon. All right. Peace out.